Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Thank you. Uh, We're going to start off with something kind of fun. Um, if you would, please stand. I would like to make the statement, I believe what we're going to do today is going to change lives. All right? And uh, in fact, I would like to make that argument that every time the family of God gets together, led by the Spirit, focused and led by uh, God's Word, uh, lives are changed. And so, to illustrate that, I'm going to ask you to stand. I know you're on a raked floor, but that's okay. If you can, stand on one foot. If you can't stand on one foot, maybe try to stand on your tiptoes. If you have to, you can balance on the chair in front of you. Don't balance, for the most part, on, to the person on your right, because I don't want to see a whole row go down. All right? We're going to do this for 20 seconds, all right? On your mark, get set, go. All right, you may be seated. So, another pastor uh, did that with a group I was in recently, and I, I thought it was really interesting. So what did we notice there? Well, if you noticed, uh, while it looked for the most part like you were standing and you were very still and balanced, the reality was uh, that your muscles, especially you probably noticed it in your ankles, your, your ankle muscles were tacking bath, back and forth to keep you upright and balanced, right? And this is the way uh, life is. If you think of like a tightrope walker, they have a, uh, you know, that, that long ballast thing, and, and they're holding that, and they are moving forward, and they're, they're changing with every step. There's always change in balance. And so to stay in balance, you actually have to change. If you think about driving a, um, uh, if, if, if we rode our bikes to Duluth today, uh, we would uh, point our bicycle tires, the front tires, forward, and we would pedal, and that forward movement and that front tire would have to be constantly adjusted to keep us moving forward. God's Word is like a, a tacking system within our lives and a spirit as well, uh, to help keep that balance, keep us moving forward toward Christ uh, forever. And so, when I say uh, we're a part of changing lives, what we're going to participate in right now is going to change you a little bit. It's going to change me. It's going to change the people we're near. It's actually going to change the world. If you think about, you know, th those are just little, little things our muscles were doing there's no such thing as an insignificant uh, movement of God's Spirit. It all does a little something in this world to move things forward, sometimes in huge ways, but all those little ways are significant as well. So we're going to change some lives this morning. Uh, we do head in today to um, what I hope is going to become an annual faith tradition called Family Life Month. After Christmas, in January, we're going to have a J-term. Uh, we're going to have the Family Life J-term, where uh, we focus on equipping each of us to become disciples of Jesus in the family God has placed us. 
The fundamental question for this month is, how can we become Christ-like blessings to our families, the families God has placed us? And while this, <clears throat> we might talk about parenting and grandparenting, etc., this month is really focused on uh, just, you know, uh, parenting or grandparenting. This month is really all about you and your relationship to God in the family God has placed you. So this is for everybody. And so on Sunday mornings, we're going to be focused on our responsibility as, as followers of Jesus in the families God has placed us. And then on Wednesdays, and here everyone, please pay attention, on Wednesdays, I want you to please join us because we're going to have a family dinner at 6.15 every Wednesday in January. And then we're going to have some teaching. In fact, this particular Wednesday, 7 o'clock, right after the family dinner, Dr. Ted Tripp, who's a specialist in uh, family life ministry, he is going to be speaking on the heart of the family. And so we invite you to come for dinner, then come here, Dr. Ted Tripp. Uh, adults and teens will be all together. But then the rest of the Wednesdays, uh, the next two at least, we're going to have some teaching, uh, and then the kids, the teens, the adults are all going to be focused on our role uh, as Christ followers within the family. And then the last Wednesday of the month, we're going to have a special uh, fun family night with dinner as well. So, hey, it's going to be way great. Uh, I hope you will join us not only on Sunday, but on Wednesdays. We've actually scaled back uh, our Sunday morning classes and uh, our other Wednesday night classes, those will all launch in February because we're hoping everyone can focus on the family. Uh, and not the place in, in Colorado Springs, but you know what I mean. Um, we should pray before we go, go forward, so let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for your presence and for the truth, the guidance and the power of your word. We ask you, God, to speak to us and reveal more of yourself and give us insight and understanding. Open our eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. Turn our eyes, our eyes from worthless things and give us life through your word. You made us. You created us. Now give us the sense to follow your commands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 78. That is on page 503 in your uh, chair Bibles there, or you can grab your phone. I'm going to ask you to stand. The Psalms are uh, the, kind of the, the poetic prayer book in the middle of your Bibles, and uh, they help us understand uh, prayer. They help us understand what it is to worship. Uh, I will read the first eight verses. Please follow along. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. 
You may be seated. <clears throat> I'm going to grab a bottle of water here. Several years ago, a uh, Peace Corps worker... Here, I'll take a drink first. Several years ago, a Peace Corps worker wrote a book uh, that maybe you have seen. It's a children's book. Uh, her name is uh, Jane Cowan Fletcher. And uh, the, the book tells the story of Yemi and Koku. Uh, it tells the story of this young girl, Yemi, whose mother asked her to watch her baby brother, Koku, for the first time on their trip to the market. And Yemi was very proud to have this responsibility to be watching her brother all by herself. But soon, after they get to the market, Yemi turns her head for a moment, and then suddenly Koku slips away. Yemi frantically searches the market for her lost brother, worried that he's hungry, that he's lost, that he's tired. But as it turns out, Koku never has a chance to be hungry or thirsty or tired because every adult that Koku bumped into took care for, of him for a few minutes, giving something to, him something to eat, something to drink, uh, a quiet place to rest. When Yemi finally found her brother, he was happy, he was well-fed, he was rested. And so she hurried him back to their mother and told her how she had lost Koku for a while. But all of the people of the village took care of him until she found him again. Yemi's mother, mother of course, wasn't surprised. And she said, what my mama told me, I will tell you. We don't raise our children by ourselves. It takes a village to raise a child. I'm guessing you've probably heard that phrase. That story illustrates well my main point here. I'll just give it to you. It takes a family of faith to raise a child of faith. Now, what do I mean by child of faith here? Well, I mean not just children, not just little kids. I mean any person, no matter their age, who believes in and depends upon Jesus as their Lord of Savior. That person is born again, is created anew. And so you can have a newborn child of faith at the, the age of eight or the age of 80. That's what I'm talking about. It takes a, a family of faith here in the local church, but in the home to raise born-again children of faith. That being the case, how do we, as a family of faith here in the church and also at home, how do we do that well in the family that God has placed you? And God has placed us all in some sort of family. You might even live alone, but you are connected in some way to different family members. What is our responsibility? What do you do, for example, if you're a single person and a child of faith, but you live in a home where your parents aren't people of faith? How do you live that life well in that context? Or what do you do if you're a new parent and, and you really want to raise your children so that one day they will put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Or what do you do if you're a, a grandparent and your children don't have a faith in Christ, and you really hope they do someday, but you're really praying also that your grandchildren someday 
will put their faith in Christ. What is your responsibility in this context? How do we do this well? So Psalm 78, it gives us some counsel. If you're a note taker, and I hope you are, please take your notes and just follow along. First of all, Psalm 78 tells us we need to tell a story. One of my favorite uh, quotes come, comes from a poet named Muriel Rukeyser. She wrote, the universe is made of stories, not of atoms. And what she means by that is, well, it, it's helpful to understand the atomic structure of the universe, and uh, it's helpful maybe even at some point to understand something about your DNA. But my understanding of me and your understanding of you is far better understood through our common stories. We are story-formed people. Each of us is a story-formed person, and the stories we put our faith in are the stories that we uh, use to make decisions. When you know who you are, you know what to do. If you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. Or if the story you've put faith in is not a true story, you're going to make decisions based out of an untrue story. And so that'll be hard if it's not true. So, verse 4 tells us the family needs to tell the story. You can't hide the story. If you would read this with me as the family of God, we will not hide from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. Interestingly, this eight verses that we read, it's just the first eight verses of a very long psalm. What does the rest of the psalm do? It tells the story of the family of faith, the birth of the nation of Israel, and how the nation of Israel put their faith in God and then didn't, and God had to correct them. Put their faith in God and then didn't, and God had to correct them. Over and over and over again, it tells a story. And we see this over and over again throughout the Scriptures. God is constantly telling the family of faith, remember Remember, 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 remember the deeds. One of the reasons we do the Lord's Supper is to remember. Remember what God has done. Remember that you will find who you are in God's story. Question, how important is that story to you in the family in which you reside? I mean, if we think about the competing stories in our world, it's very important to kind of dive deeply into God's story. I mean, one of the most popular stories that people put faith in today is, says that each of us is nothing but a cosmic accident, nothing, nothing but uh, the byproduct of accidental chemical reactions. There's no meaning, there's no purpose. You're an accident, I'm an accident. And all that is you and all that is me, it's just matter matter. <laughs> we have no real will. Uh, there is no true self-determination, actually. We're just chemical reactions without meaning or purpose. Another very popular, popular view tells a story this way. There is no real meaning or true story outside of your personal experience story. The truth is in you, so you, you write your story, and I'll write my story. 
And because there is no meaning outside of our personal experiences, all stories are equally valid and equally true. So you do you, and I'll do me. Now, I don't care whether you're 7 or 70 years old, these two stories are the most accepted stories in our culture. One says there is no true story, and so uh, there is no God, and so there is no true story. The other says, well, we're all gods in one sense. We all get to write whatever story we want. And the implication of, of putting faith in these stories and believing in and depending upon these stories is that tomorrow morning you get to wake up and you get to write whatever story you want. You're the author. There is no real author. You're the author, and you get to write whatever story you want. You, in a sense, get to be God, made in your own image. Now, what if, though, what if there is a different story than those two? What if there is a God, and what if this God's nature is self-giving, sacrificial love, and what if you've actually, what if you're not an accident, what if you've actually been made with purpose, with great forethought? What if you are made in the image of the God who is love? What if each person on the face of the planet has actually been made by love for love? If we are always story-formed people finding our identities in these stories we believe and making decisions out of those stories, then the stories we believe are going to have lifelong consequences, aren't they? I mean, you do not get a Hitler or a Mother Teresa out of the same story. You get a Hitler and a Mother Teresa out of very different stories. So what story is your life telling in the family where God has placed you? Is, are you telling the story of, the, God, of the, the, the story where there is no God and there is no purpose? Or are you telling the story that, well, in a sense, we're kind of all gods? Or are you telling the story of a loving God who has made you in His image, who has saved you by His Son, welcomed you into the eternal, loving family of God, and that God is best understood in a person named Jesus. Which story will you tell? And how are you going to tell that story well? If you agree with me that the third story is the best story, is the most true story, then question, do you know the story? Because you have to know the story to tell the story, right? Now, you've heard me say this before probably, we live in the most biblically illiterate time in the history of our country. People just don't know the story of the Bible. And maybe you're even sitting here and you're thinking, you know, I don't know, even know that I know the story very well. I don't know where Solomon and Saul, named Paul, I mean, did they live at the same time? Why do we treat the book of Leviticus different than the book of Acts? If, you know, it, it makes sense. If you don't know the story, and if people out there don't know the story, we can't be mad at them. We, we certainly don't blame anyone for knowing the story. But if you, if you want to live the story well, and if you want to, as a child of faith, tell that story well, then what are you going to do in 2020 to dive more deeply into the story? Because to know the story, to tell the story, you have to know the story. What are you going to intentionally do so that you really come 
to know the most amazing story ever told. And what I would argue is the story that best has the ability to tack back and forth this world in a healthy way. What are you going to do? Um, if I may, uh, let me give you some suggestions. Our women's ministry in February, they're going to be doing a series on 12 women in the Scriptures. That might be one step you could take to knowing the story better. Um, our our uh, Wednesday night Discovery Bible Experience group, we are diving deep into the book called First Peter. You can understand the story more deeply that way. Uh, you could, for example, maybe join, uh, we're doing a, uh, a series in uh, February on Sunday morning on um, uh, prayer. We're doing another series in March on Sunday morning on, in the classes on um, sharing the good news. Um, maybe it's one of those classes, or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know, I am, uh, I, I am like at ground zero. Where do I go? You might want to join something called Alpha. It starts the first Wednesday in, uh, in, in February. You can come to begin to know the story th through Alpha. And if you're like, Pastor Brad, I'm chomping at the bit. What can I do like tomorrow? Then tomorrow night, come to faith, and at 7 o'clock, be a part of community Bible study. In community Bible study, you'll start to walk the journey uh, with Moses. All right? There are all kinds of different ways in 2020 to help learn the story so you can tell the story. But you're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to say, this is the thing I'm going to do in 2020. So what's that thing? Secondly, the family of faith has to teach the truth. Now, while the story of God, the overarching narrative of the Scriptures has to be known, within that story there are particular statutes, commands, laws given for the ordering and the health of the family of faith. And these two need to be instilled in people who put their faith in Jesus. Uh, read verse 5 with me. Let's read it together. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. What are the competing truths in our culture? Well, I'll give you one we wrestled with last spring uh, and into the summer. We did a series, if you're new with us, called The Body. And in that series, uh, we wrestled with what are these things, these bodies we have. Uh, a lot of our world believes this particular truth. This is my body, and I can do with it whatever I want. Isn't, that's a very popular truth that our world believes. The Scriptures actually teach a different truth. The Scriptures actually teach that this body is designed by God, made in His image, to be a tabernacle, a temple of the very Spirit of God. Thus, my body is not my own. Your body is not your own. Thus, we are to honor God with our bodies. Now, if we don't teach that truth, where in culture is that truth going to be taught? 
Someone has to stand up and say, okay, to the competing truth, I would like to offer something that is not that, and I think is actually more beautiful and more loving. Question, where are you going to take a stand when it comes to teaching truth? And if you want to take a stand when it comes to teaching truth, well, then you have to know the truth to teach the truth, right? I mean, what are the commands and statutes, the decrees of the Lord? We have to figure out what they are. For example, should we kill our enemies or pray for our enemies? What, is the, what do the Scriptures say? Uh, what is God's teaching on marriage and divorce? What has God decreed about caring for His creation? What has God decreed uh, about caring for immigrants? and uh, caring for the poor? What has God decreed about what we should do with our money? See, the offspring of faith, those who are born again, somehow need to hear these truths. And God has strategically placed all of us in families to share these truths in loving <laughs> and grace-filled, compelling ways. If we don't say it, who's going to say it? Think for a moment about the family in which God has placed you. Does the rest of the family know that you value God's truth above all other competing truths? And if they don't know that, what's going on? What needs to change so that your family, where God has placed you, sees that you place God's truth as ultimate truth. It is in the family of faith where these truths are best taught. So, brand new, born again, children of faith, whether they're this high or this high, whether they're nine or ninety, hear the good news that God's truth is actually the most loving truth. And why would we even care about this? So that they may trust. So that people who are, uh, whom God wants to bring into the family of God might actually begin to trust Him. Now, think about this in a practical way. Why is trust so important in any relationship? Well, think about it. it if I don't trust you, I'm not going to believe anything you say to me. If you don't trust me, you're not going to believe me. If, if you don't trust me, and I say, hey, I, I'm going to show up at your house at this particular time, and I'm going to mow your lawn, you're going to be like, yeah, right. Pastor Brad's not going to do that. It is winter. Uh, <laughs> but here's the, here's the deal with trust. I will not believe in and depend upon anyone I don't trust. And so I'm not going to put faith in anyone I don't trust. Now, if I don't believe God is trustworthy... What am I going to do? I'm going to create distance in that relationship. And God is saying, no, 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 no. You can trust me. I am good. I love you. I created the whole deal. I know how I've wired you to walk this journey with me in ways that are healthy and a blessing to the people around you. You need to trust me. Verse 7 of our text says, Let's read this together. Then they would put their trust in God 
and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Do you know why I'm a Christian today? I was thinking about this as I was writing. Because the family of faith, my parents, my sister, my cousins, my, uh, my aunts, my uncles, but also Larry Larson and the church I grew up in, Dick Arling, Faye, Greg, Gary, you know, all these, all these people in the family of faith, they kept saying to me over and over again, Brad, he's good. Let me tell you the story. Let me tell you the story about Moses. This will, this will help, help you understand how I learned he's good and how you can learn he's good as well. He's to be trusted. In all those times where things are going south, who, what was it? It was the family of faith in my home and in my church coming around and saying, remember the decrees. Remember the story. You can trust Him. Even though it seems like everything's going south, trust His ways. Be faithful to Him because He knows how to walk this journey well. The family of faith, it's kind of like that, your ankle, the muscles in your ankle, you know, helping us tack back and forth. No, you can trust Him. He is good. Stay balanced. Don't focus on the ditch because you will fall in the ditch. So with all of this, I just have a question. Practically speaking, what is God calling you to do, change, or pray about as you enter a brand new year? If you consider yourself a child of faith, is there some practical redirection that has to happen this year? Husbands, wives, does your spouse know from experience that your relationship with God is the most important relationship in your life? Do they know that because of the way you spend your time, because of the way you, you approach His Word? If they don't, is there some sort of redirection that has to happen this year? Or maybe um, parents, do your children know that faith in Christ is more important than the Vikings? <laughs> Do your kids know that, that faith in Christ, His Word, is, is more important than uh, hockey, baseball? I mean, think about it. Think about the time that the dads so often spend in teaching an, uh, their kids how to, how to catch a baseball. Do we take the same time, dads, to teach the kids how to read the Scriptures? Do they see you studying the Scriptures enough? Do they, do they see, Mom and Dad, uh, do they see that you're organizing your schedule because the worship of the family of God and the church is the most important time of the week? Because it is, biblically speaking. I can make that argument very easily. Grandparents. Do the grandkids know that you care more about God's Word than you do the news? And do they see you caring more about the Scriptures than about what the tube is saying? Single people, do your nieces and nephews, your siblings, do your parents, do they see that you are taking time to order your life according to this story and this truth. Because if they don't, how are they going to know? Who's going to tell them? 
if it's not us. There's not a person in this room who in some way does not have family influence. And God has strategically placed His Spirit in you to be in that particular family. You're not responsible for changing, in that, changing them, but you are responsible for trusting Him, for coming to know the story and hearing these truths so that when the time comes, you can tell the story of God and you can teach these truths so they might trust. Let's pray. As I'm praying, I just want to ask you one more time that question. What is God calling you to do, change, or pray about? At the, at the, and on your notes, there's a little space to write. Are you receiving any sort of nudge right now? Just some practical, specific way. This year, you can raise the bar so that your family sees how much you love God. Feel free to respond to that and write as I pray. Lord, we stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. There's not a one of us here who is not here because uh, outside of other people of faith who've told the story, who've shared the truth. We ask now, Lord, to give us eyes to see your leadership through this new year. Help us see how we might participate with you in growing the family of God. You are the vine, we are the branches. All fruit is born from you. So give us the faith to trust your life in us, your leadership over us as completely sufficient to bear Christ-like fruit in our families. Amen. Amen. A couple things before we depart today. Uh, one, enjoy the rest of your week because you're going to help change the world in some great ways, and I, uh, I, I truly believe that. Uh, the, uh, one person after the last service came up to me and she said something she was doing in the co-op that she lives, and I thought, you know, there's no, there's no such thing as an insignificant gesture of kindness that is led by the Spirit of God, okay? So what you do Big and little, it all matters this week. Tack back and forth, be a part of the movement of the Spirit to help direct this world in good, loving ways. One of the ways you can do that today is as you leave, we're going to have a benevolence offering, and that benevolence offering goes to help care for the people in our church community who have needs at different times. And so we, we had a great uh, uh, opportunity over the Christmas season to help some people in real need in our, our faith here, community here. So if you can help uh, with that, please do so. Uh, if you're new to faith, uh, I'm going to be, uh, Jill and I will be out at the welcome table. We'd love to uh, greet you, shake your hand, give you a shameless free gift and, and get to know you. I'm going to ask all of us before we depart to stand. I have a charge for us as we go taken from Psalm 78, actually. So hear these words. Now go and tell the next generation of faith the praise, praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, the wonders He has done. Declare His statutes, which He commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next genera generation of faith would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they, in turn, would tell their children so all would put their trust in God and not forget His deeds.
but keep his commands. Go in faith, family of faith. Have a great week. See you Wednesday night.